Well, good morning. They're still letting me preach after my uh, time to tear, time to sow story last week, so I'm very happy about that. That was a little bit on the edge. Uh, Last week we started chapter 3 in uh, Ecclesiastes, the book we've been working through this entire summer, and we'll be finishing chapter 3 today. Chasing After the Wind is the title of our sermon series, and we've just been working our way through this book. The text we have today is actually a text that we talk about every single year at the beginning of Lent on Ash Wednesday. It's verse 20, all are from the dust and to dust all return. You maybe have heard that before, especially if you've been to an Ash Wednesday service that those words that get marked (coughs) or get spoken over you as you're marked with ashes, from dust and to dust you shall return. But (coughs) there's more in this chapter than just that. So we're going to read through uh, verses 16 through 22 today. I'm going to pray over our time. And, um, and as you can be turning there to chapter 3 if you want. If you want to follow along, there should be Bibles in the seats in front of you. There should be one that's kind of close, hopefully, to you. Um, and if you don't really know your way around, uh, that's a, this is a great time to learn. And so Ecclesiastes would be like right after um, you have Psalms, Proverbs, and then Ecclesiastes right after that. So uh, kind of towards the middle of the Bible. If you find Psalms, you're, you're really close. Uh, let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you so much for gathering us together today, Lord. And for, for all of us that are here, would you meet us today in some way, God? As Pastor Dave has already spoken, if we're here, if we, it's because we acknowledge our need for you. We do have needs, Lord. We're not here because we have it all put together. And God, if there's any anxiousness in any of us today for being here, let us have peace that comes from your word, Lord, because we know that you're not anxious about us being here. So, Lord, would you come? Would you meet us? Speak into our hearts and our minds today. Give us hope, give us encouragement, or give us correction. Whatever it is that you see that we need, do it now. Give me words to speak, and give us all ears to hear, because faith comes by hearing the word of God. Amen. All right. Chapter 3, verse 16 to the end of the chapter. Here we go. Moreover, Solomon writes, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice even there was wickedness, and in the place of righteousness even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them, that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. For what happens to children of man and what happens to the beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath. And man has no advantage over the beasts, for all is vanity. All go to one place. All are from the dust, and to dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward or the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth. So I saw that there is nothing better than, it, than that a man should rejoice in his work For that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? There's a a painting that once hung in the Louvre. I'm going to have the sound booth put it up here. 
You've perhaps heard this story before, but it ties in well today. There's a painting that hung in the Louvre, and it's, uh, it's painted by a man that I can't pronounce his name, and I'm not going to try, all right? But uh, it's known as Checkmate. As you can see, the painting depicts two players playing chess. One is Satan there on the left, and the other is just a young man. As you can see, Satan is appearing arrogantly confident. The other young man looks defeated. According to a legend, and that's probably all this is, I have no idea if this is a true story or not, but there was a chess grandmaster that came upon this painting as he toured the Louvre in Paris, France. And as he saw this, obviously he was engaged because of the chessboard in it. And he stood there studying this picture, trying to figure out, and he asked the curator to come over. He says, what's the name of this picture? And the curator said, it's, it's, it's called Checkmate. He says, well, I think, I think you have to rename this painting. See, it looks like the devil is the obvious victor, but in fact, he's not winning. The defeated player actually has the ability to defeat his opponent Opponent, because um, the king still has one more move. The king still has one more move. Even though there seems to be already a defeat on his face, it seems to be game over. The king, king has one more move. Now we uh, <clears throat> we've spoken for half the summer now on Solomon's pursuit to finding meaning in the world apart from God. We've talked for weeks on his pursuit for knowledge, his pursuit for pleasure in this world, for the pursuit in, in just working and in, in our work, and every single time it ends up being meaningless. Last week we saw that there's a time for everything under the sun, and then this week Solomon is really pointing out in these verses that we are mortal and we are broken. In the places where there should be justice, there's wickedness. In the places there should be righteousness, there's wickedness. He just says we're so broken as human beings. First two chapters just driving it home that no matter what you pursue, it's just, it doesn't really matter in the end. They don't really have that big of an impact on the world. It's, they don't have any real in, eternal significance. I mean, it's all just vapor. It's vanity. What's the point of it all? And then now he's saying, and look at us. We're broken. And we're just dust and the dust we shall return. And what does it matter with our brokenness? It, it, just, we, it all ends in death anywhere. And every living thing, the beasts and us broken creatures called human, we just have the same exact fate. All go to one verse, all, all, go, all go to one place, verse 20 says, all are from dust and to dust all return. And in, the, in this de depressing chapter with these depressing statements, Solomon finally asks this question, in verse 21, who, who even knows whether the spirit of the man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into earth? In some ways, he asks the question that all humans ask at some point in their life, what really happens after you die? He knows that eternity has been stuck in our hearts. That was part of what we talked about last week. But he also just knows that we do have a spirit that's going to live on past our bodies, but I don't, even, I don't even know what happens to it. 
And in his, this search for meaning of life, he just, just seems to get to a point where it's just like, I guess we'll have to wait to find out. And I, I know one thing for sure, there's nothing that we can do except just rejoice in our work and battle on because life is a vapor and pursuing things really aren't worth a whole lot. So let's just plug away and we'll see what happens when we get back into dust. What's interesting about this is even with all of Solomon's wisdom, he missed something. Solomon was so concerned with his search for true eternal meaning in this life that he forgot to ask what God pursues. Solomon is focusing so much on his own moves, on his own life, on his own pursuits, his own vanity, on his own brokenness, that he forgot about the possibility of God moving. He was seeing if anything in life actually gave us everlasting peace and closeness. And he finds that nothing really does it. And in that, that kind of narrow-minded focus, he kind of takes the Lord out of the equation and doesn't really see that God is a God that desires to move. Solomon just sees from dust into dust. And as maybe as sad or uh, bleak as that looks, I would say as we see through the rest of Scripture that our condition is actually far worse than that. Because not only are we mortal and that death is coming before all of us, we're also dead to our sin. Our vain pursuits actually drive us away from Christ. They make us spiritually dead. We have physical death ahead, but spiritual death apart from Christ happens right now here in this world. Solomon knows that death is undefeated. That is what he knows. For sure, death is coming but what's missed in all of this is that we not only need victory over physical death, we need victory over spiritual death. We need a spiritual resurrection for our souls. And as Solomon looks across the earth and he tries pleasure and work and knowledge and all these things, trying to find purpose for his life, he doesn't realize that the king has one more move up his sleeve. To take care of all of this. How could he? Christ hadn't come yet. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Paul is writing here and he says, As for you... You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following its desires and thoughts. Does that kind of sound like what Solomon's pursuing here in the first couple chapters? That he's just kind of living out, trying to gratify his flesh, his thoughts. He's just kind of doing his best to try to find purpose just like so many people do. In verse 3, it says, All of us lived among them, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. 
But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in the kindness to us in Christ Jesus. See, the king had one more move up his sleeve. Jesus says, I'm going to come and I'm going to take dead souls, spiritually dead souls, and bring them to life because of who I am, because of what I like to do. I am filled with grace and mercy and I love my creatures and I'm going to come and bring a resurrection, not just to their bodies, but to their spiritual souls as well. He is rich in mercy and he has made us alive with Christ even though we were dead in our transgressions. All throughout Scripture's church, the king of kings seems to have another move up his sleeve when there seems to be no hope left. When God's chosen people came up against the Red Sea, with Pharaoh's armies closing in, they're trapped. God had one more move. When food was scarce in the desert for them, as the Israelites wandered, God had another move, manna from heaven. When water was scarce, God had another move. When Abraham drew his knife back to sacrifice his only son, God had another move and provided a sacrifice. When Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego were thrown into the furnace, checkmate. No. God had another move. When Daniel was thrown into the den of hungry lions, right, VBS kids, it looked like checkmate, but our king had another move left. Daniel remained safe. A little boy in John 6 had only two fish and a few loaves. There was 5,000 people waiting to get fed. He had another move left. He collected 12 baskets of leftover food after the meal was served. In Luke chapter 8, there's a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. And it says she had spent all she had on physicians. No one could cure her. She comes up behind Jesus and touches the fringe of his clothes. Immediately she's healed. In John 8, it looked like checkmate for a woman who was caught in the act of adultery, ready to be stoned and killed by angry men. God had another move gets down and writes in the sand. What's he doing? All of a sudden, people drop their stones and walk away, and Jesus kneels down beside this woman and says, do they not forsake you? No, neither do I. Go and sin no more. And when Jesus was tortured and then crucified, died, and then was buried in a tomb, it finally seemed like God was at last out of moves. He had used them all up, and then a resurrection. Paying for your sin, breaking down the barrier that our brokenness creates between us and a holy God. Giving us hope that death does not have the final word over us. 
that Jesus Christ does defeat sin, he absolutely defeats death, and he defeats the devil. Romans chapter 6, verses 4 through 5. When we were buried, we were therefore buried with him through a baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. See, Jesus knew that our efforts and all of our pursuits on this side of heaven in some ways were vanity. Because nothing we could do would get past this truth that we are dust and to dust we will return. We have no ability to change that. We have no ability to impact what happens to our souls after we die. So Jesus doesn't leave it up to our pursuits. He comes down to pursue us. Restoring our relationship, giving us victory over death, certainty in our eternal destination, and then power through the Holy Spirit over the many vain, meaningless things that we're addicted to pursuing. So yes, we're dust and the dust we shall return, but death, death doesn't win. And God uses death to actually give us new life. And then on top of all of this, he gives us a commission that has eternal impact and great significance. He brings meaning and a mission into this meaningless world for his children. And it's not just the great commission, which certainly does that, but he also just brings purpose in the mundane, that we can now be at peace as his children and enjoy our work and our pursuits alongside a God that is with us and pursues with us. So if you're here today and you're unaware of God's love and pursuit for you, listen up. Jesus is and always will be hunting you down. Even when you're running and testing out what this world has to offer, he's on your heels. Waiting for you to figure out that the world doesn't cut it. And maybe you've realized that today and that's why you're here. That as much as you try to find meaning and purpose and pleasure in this world, you are empty. And I'm saying to you today that you are empty because you are meant to be with your King Jesus. And even if it feels hopeless, Know that the king has one more move and it is towards you and he says, I forgive you. Come, follow me. And if you're here today as a follower of Jesus and there's a situation in your life right now that feels hopeless and you feel like you're maybe up against the Red Sea and there's an army that's incoming and you feel like the odds are against you and you feel like there's really no way out and there's no hope, know that with Christ you have a God that has a beautiful resume of having one more move when there seems like there's nothing left to do. That move can be miracles and healing. Sometimes it's just even just getting rid of a a broken body through death so that we can finally just experience his eternal life that can be given to, to all of us. But as we read through Ecclesiastes, Solomon just couldn't imagine how 
God could make a move that would even undo death, but that's exactly what God does. Now, I don't know whether the story of the Grand Master staring at this painting in the Louvre ever actually happened. I don't know if we ever could find that out. But I do know that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ seems to always have one more move when all seems lost, and it's always a move for you. If you are here today and you feel like you are like Solomon seeking the world for what it has to offer, I want to just gently but also strongly encourage you to come to Jesus. Repent of all those vain pursuits that you've seen bring emptiness and come to the one who made you, who knows you, who loves you, and continues to pursue you. His faithfulness is constant. Even when we're not faithful, he's chasing us down and saying, here I am, I want to be with you. I want to give you hope and a future. I want to extend to you forgiveness and make sure that what you carry in this world is a powerful message of the gospel that can transform souls that can transform this exact meaningless world. I don't want you to be carrying brokenness or sin or shame or baggage from past. Bring it to me so I can heal and transform you by the power of my word so that you can have meaning and hope and that you can give meaning and hope. We have just this great gift of the gospel, this great gift of a relationship with Jesus Christ I can't wait, I can't wait to see where you take it. Let's pray. Lord, you are an awesome God, a God that sometimes I have a hard time understanding because you're so unlike us. Lord, you've come and you've brought forgiveness and healing You've given us victory over the sin that entangles us, victory over a death that seems to be looming, victory over a spiritual death that sometimes we're completely unaware of. How could we be aware of it? Because we're dead. You bring a resurrection to our lives. You make us new creations. And then, God, you give us this great gift of being sent into the world to those around us with a message of hope, life, and love. Would we take advantage of that, Lord? But also, Lord, let us enjoy this relationship that you've given us and take pleasure in the work and of the mundane of the day-to-day because we get to do it all now with you. Amen.